0: One, two,
1: three. We love when episode ideas come straight from our listeners. Today's episode is one of those, and it's a good one.
2: Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question
1: in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college.
2: So today, with the help of some smart people we're gonna come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, what is the best whistling in a song? That's the age-old question.
1: We have an ongoing request to our listeners. If there's a question that you think would make for an interesting discussion, let us know. This one comes from Lorraine and Andy in the United Kingdom, in the UK, in England. That's amazing. Lorraine writes, I was at a line dance event this weekend, and they had a vocalist singing over backing tracks of the songs we normally dance to. The singer on Saturday kept randomly whistling at points where there just wouldn't be whistling in the song. It was very funny and a little odd, but it got me thinking, what is the greatest song that does include whistling? First of all, thank you for the suggestion, Lorraine. Second of all, line dancing, that's awesome. Clint, you've said on the show,
2: don't knock it till you try it, right? Don't knock it till you try it. I love that it's in the UK. That's amazing. I know, line dancing in the UK. Yeah, I was in Nashville with my family when, when I did it for the first time. And the Wild Horse Saloon, and we had so much fun. Absolutely amazing. Wild Horse Saloon. That just sounds like a place that you would have fun line dancing. Absolutely, like you can't show up without a hat
1: and boots on.
0: Honey, you can depend on me. All
1: right, third, third. Let's get into this discussion. Let's start with Lorraine's pick for the best song. Can you guess what it might be?
2: I don't know, Lorraine.
1: Let's see, maybe, uh, I don't know. It's Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay. Great. Maybe Otis's most iconic song Co-written by him and guitarist Steve Cropper.
0: Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting in the evening come. Watching the ships roll in And then I'll watch it roll away again.
1: Many of the listeners will know that it was recorded just three days before he died. His plane, just three days later, crashed into a frozen lake in Wisconsin in December 1967. The song was released posthumously and was the first ever posthumous release to reach number one on the charts. Otis wrote this song in the Bay Area. He was a guest on a houseboat in Sausalito in late summer, early fall 1967. It was while he was on the houseboat that belonged to the legendary concert promoter Bill Graham. He just finished his famous performance at the Monterey Pop Festival and was taking a short break from his touring schedule. In a 1990 interview on NPR's Fresh Air, Steve Cropper noted it was an unusually autobiographical tune for Otis, a very literal tune. He was watching the ships roll in and then (laughs) watching them roll away again. Some people have wondered if the whistling was added because he died before he could add a third verse. The explanation is actually less morbid and a bit more interesting. Otis was known for ad-libbing at the end of songs. And you can hear it here on songs like Try a Little Tenderness. And with that in mind, when Steve Cropper arranged the song for the recording session, he made plans for Otis to do some vamping. Cropper said, I added about 10 measures of instrumental background for him to do his thing. And when the time came, Otis couldn't think of anything and he just started whistling. Which, of course, made the song. (laughs) One final note on the song. A lot of people, our generation, Clint, first heard the song in Top Gun. Do you remember that scene?
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's music. My folks loved it. I haven't heard this in years. My mother used to call down from her room and have me play this over and over again. I got so sick of it.
1: Not her, she just sit up there alone, just listening. Hours.
2: Another great use of a song in a film. Absolutely. First of all, Like we were talking about days of the week, how how a song can sound like a a day of the week. or That sounds like you're sitting on the dock of the bay, right? Right. There's the tempo. It sounds like you wrote it on a houseboat, which is just awesome. I didn't know the houseboat scene. That's amazing. Yeah, but I've always thought that that song is a, a great mimic of what it's about. And I love the fact that the whistling at the end is not pitch perfect. And it's sort of lazy and like it's just like you'd be whistling down the street. You know, it's not obviously not auto-tuned, but um, it's not, it's not like he went back in and got it exactly right. Like there's some, there's some realness to it that it, that actually makes it for me. Cause it's just like a guy sitting on the dog of the bay, whistling away. So I, that's, I think that's my favorite part of this whistle is that it's not exactly perfect and it's lazy and, and just real cool.
1: They did three takes of the song and he whistled in each of the
2: takes. So it was definitely what he intended yep. for, for that song. Love it. Whistling into a mic is an art form. Not only does it take an angle, meaning you can't just whistle right into a microphone because it'll, it'll blow up. Blow it thing. up. Yeah. It'll sound like wind. So you have to turn sideways and go across the mic. But there's also, especially in a live setting where your mouth gets dry and you get to the point where you literally can't make a sound because right. your mouth is so dry and you're like, won't whistle. Oh, God. The other thing about whistling is I have a deep love of whistling because my first son, Ty Lu, was obsessed with whistling. The second he learned how to whistle, it became such a thing Ty was just whistling and whistling and whistling. And the teachers would get so annoyed that he just kept whistling. And all day he was whistling and whistling. So we got calls from the school being like- Less know, whistling. Gotta, less <laughs> whistling. And I'm like, heck no. Let the kid whistle. He's, yeah. it's, you know, for, in, in a lot of ways, a whistle can be a, a calming thing. You know, it can, it can take off anxiety. You know, yeah. there's a lot of reasons people whistle. And, and, and when I started thinking about this topic, I was just immediately thinking about, Well, you're writing a song on a guitar, both hands are being used, you hear a line, it's like another instrument at your disposal when you're writing a song. So there's a lot of songs that contain whistles. I'm really excited to know what your choices are. Let's start, what's your first choice? My first choice, you know it's one of my favorite bands of all time. Can I guess? You can guess. Can I guess? You can guess. I'm gonna guess Guns N' Roses, Patience. Well, you nailed it, because there really is no other place to start. The song Patience came out in 88, was from their second studio album, which was called GNR Lies, and this was the only single released from that record. It peaked at number four on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. The big difference about this song is it's all acoustic, three acoustic guitars, No drums, a lot of background vocals, but the key feature of this track is the intro whistle. It's actually done by Axl Rose, which is great to know, right? Yeah, it is good to know. he could do it, he did it live, he did it He did it all the time And I believe that Izzy Stradlin wrote the music Who was the original second guitarist of Guns N' Roses We all know Slash, but Izzy, he was the secret sauce of that band in my opinion And there's that famous video from Don't Cry Where there's that sign that says, where's Izzy? Because he was just on a bender and never showed up for the video shoot
0: Said woman, take it slow
2: So here's a, here's a funny thing that I read when I was doing research on this song. It's from Kimberly Starling and it's of the Karaoke Informer. So she writes, this is a very popular karaoke song, but one that you might want to avoid. It's one of the top five songs that tends to bomb. It just eludes the average ear and when you get off key on this one, it sounds to the ear like a turd in a punch bowl looks to the eye. <laughs> I thought that was very well said. <laughs> I'd love to know other songs that are must avoid
1: in karaoke because I have seen people bomb on certain things. Like, oh, let's do this. Yeah, And it's then that you realize the genius of someone like Axl
2: Rose who made this song sound simple because this song it, yeah. sounds simple right it gets very high and most people can't sing that high at the end it's also five minutes and 40 seconds long or something like that which is amazing to have a hit song i mean number four on the hot 100 it's a very long song split up into two basically completely different sections you know there's that whole outro thing um it's it's amazing that it was a hit to be honest it's not my favorite guns and roses song but it is one of my favorite whistles of all time. And I have performed this song hundreds of times, especially back in high school, and did the whistle, love the whistle. I love
1: whistling. It's funny you say this is not one of your favorite Guns N' Roses songs, because this is one of my favorite Guns N' Roses songs. I like the, the sentiment, I like the lyric, you know, said woman take it slow it'll work itself out fine all we need is just a little patience i mean it's a great
2: it's a great sentiment because you're so lyrics first and i'm so lyrics second yeah. so i'm i'm looking at it as the complexity of the song is great i really love the second section in terms of having just two an outro that is totally different from the whole the rest of the song but yeah. also uh, one one of my favorite parts of this song is the in that transition when it goes to the the outro Slash has that little double stop line, which is the very first thing I taught myself on the guitar. So I picked up the guitar when I was 15 years old and that is the first thing I taught myself.
1: That's incredible. I have a love for this song for that reason, for sure. Well, and just going back to what you said about Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay, that there's something, the whistling is perfect for that song because it just feels like, you know, what you would do when you're sitting on the dock of the bay. Similarly, whistling feels like something that you would do when you
2: need a little patience. Right, when you're when you're amped up and you need to take it down a notch. All right, well, what do you got, mister? All right, the next song I want to talk about is Jealous Guy
1: by John Lennon. It's not a Beatles song, so I'm not gonna play our Rich and Clint talk about the Beatles theme song <laughs> yet. yet. All right, let's play it. Uh, 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 uh,
3: Rich and Clint talk about the Beatles.
1: Because it did start out as a Beatles song. When the Beatles were studying in India in 1968, one day they listened to a lecture from the Maharishi. John and Paul each returned to their little cabins inspired by what they'd heard. Paul wrote Mother Nature's Son.
0: Set a mountain stream. See rise.
1: It's one of my favorite Beatles songs.
0: Listen to the pretty sound of music as she flies.
1: While Paul's song was Mother Nature's Son, the song that John wrote that day was Child of Nature. And they demoed that song when they returned to England and they gathered at George's house in Esher in Surrey. Here's that demo.
0: dream I had was true Yes, the dream I had was true I'm just a child of nature I don't need much to set me free I'm just a child of nature I'm
1: one of nature's children. Nice. They jammed on that song during the January 1969 Get Back sessions. On the road to I was dreaming more but the song never took root as a Beatles song. So in May of 1971, John gets together. Klaus Vormann, who was a friend of theirs from the Hamburg days and had designed the iconic Revolver album artwork. He played bass on the recording. And Jim Keltner, legendary session guy, played drums on the track. Alright, about the whistling, it takes place in the solo section. is it a whistle why is it not a guitar solo or a keyboard solo or a sax solo why there's something about that whistling that makes it
2: even more personal and contemplative right absolutely but why a whistle like why i you know was that the move to be more contemplative i don't know i'd love to know i'd love to know was it Phil Spector's
1: idea you know was it John's idea Did they put that in there as a placeholder and decided, you know, actually the whistle works really well? Because that happens
2: in, in a recording session, right? Absolutely. Let's just get the idea down so we don't forget it, and we'll go back and replace it with another instrument at some point. Right. I wonder what happened there. We'll never know. We'll never know. I'm
0: just a jealous guy.
2: Good one. All right, what's your second? All right, my second one is by the great Bobby McFerrin, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry, be happy. Oh, I love it. It's a 1988 song which if you'll recall so was patience interesting so i may be living in a a time warp maybe the whistle was hot that year because it does it does trend maybe all the sax players were like in rehab or something it's <laughs> like it should have been sax but there nobody was around quick note about this song it was the very first acapella song to reach number one on the billboard hot 100. the beauty of this song is that there's not a single instrument it's all bobby's mouth don't worry. Be
3: happy. don't worry be
2: happy and he builds texture upon texture i think this is the only example that i saw of a harmonized whistling line oh. <laughs> So he does one line, and then he harmonizes the third above it. Whistle-on-whistle whistle action. It's quite a good sound, actually, when you listen to this recording again. And re- requires... whistling on
1: pitch is hard. You know, we talked about Otis's not being super perfect... But if you're going to harmonize, it's got to be pretty pitch perfect.
2: Yeah, and I don't think anyone is more pitch perfect than Bobby McFerrin. I mean, that guy is yeah absolutely... You know, he does the Yo-Yo Ma thing where he's singing cello parts or singing at least opposite the cello, but singing complex classical lines. It's just... And he sings jazz. I mean, his, his records are basically jazz records. Right. Um, this is like one of the very few... Uh, pop things that he really did, as far as I know, um, in the same way that Herbie Hancock had a huge hit with Rocket. It's like, this was this was Bobby McFerrin's huge hit.
1: And in fact, but, Kimberly and I saw, my wife and I saw him a couple years ago, and it was incredible. It was a great, great show. He didn't play this song. And I just yeah. thought, wow, that's incredible, you know, to not play your hit that 97% of the people in the audience are
2: there to see. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's what happened. So in in 1988, George H.W. Bush was running for president and used this song as his campaign song, as his presidential campaign song.
1: Read my lips. No new taxes.
2: Without asking permission or endorsement. So in reaction, he protested that particular use of his song and said that they couldn't use it anymore but he also dropped it from his performance repertoire Mm. to make the point even clearer which is which is a bold move to stop playing your biggest song that seems a little extreme this song won the 1989 grammy award Mm. for song of the year record of the year and Best Male Pop per Vocal Performance. So it won three Grammys. And there's nothing to this song. There's two chords in this song. The genius of the song is one, the whistle, and two, the acapellanist. But the whistle, again, like we're saying, it's like, don't worry, be happy. It's like, you're walking down the street, you got all these things wrong, but you know what? Don't worry, be happy. The whistling really sends that home, I think. it's You can see somebody just like trying to pick up their spirits walking down the street all bummed out. It's the manifestation of happiness. That's exactly what it is. Another thing about this song, in 2011, Don't Worry Be Happy was named as the worst song of all time by the Village Voice. What? (laughs) Yep. Worst songs. It was also topped the Q100 DJ Burt Weiss's list of tracks he would forever ban from radio. And Blender Magazine, in the 50 worst songs ever, Blender said that it's difficult to think of a song more likely to plunge you into suicidal despondency than this. Which is, <laughs> I mean, you gotta be an angry human to, to write something that mean about a song that's just trying to, just trying to pick people's spirits up. I, I do not like that person. I do not like that person either. How could you hate on Bobby McFerrin? Just a super talented man. Have you ever seen his, his TED talk? Where he plays the audience, yeah, he plays the audience, and I absolutely
1: love that. He literally plays the audience like the audience is an instrument
2: by hopping around on stage, right. Like one hop to the right, everybody goes, dude, dude, it goes up a whole step, you know, it's yeah. just absolutely about amazing.
3: Expectations, expectations, watch.
0: Bah, bah. Bah, bah, bah. Ba, 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 ba,
3: ba, ba OK <laughs> Regardless of where I am, anywhere, every audience gets that.
1: How incredible that This lives in all of us, that
2: we can do this if it's guided in the right way. Absolutely. Last thing about this song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. It became known in the consciousness of of the masses by being in the 1988 movie Cocktail. Oh, Cocktail. Remember that movie? Now. Loved it. That soundtrack also included the number one Beach Boys hit, Kokomo. That was the very first CD I ever bought. I think we talked Uh, about that before. So great. Cocktail soundtrack was my first CD, so this song is also near and dear to my heart in that respect. And also, my acapella group in college used to sing this song, and it was a big hit, with Justin Elliker bouncing all over the stage. Also, incredible pitch. And now
1: he is like a politician in... He's
2: He's the mayor of New Haven, Connecticut. The mayor of New Haven. Shout out. Shout out. What's next, Rich? Should we go to the comments? Oh, yeah. Let's go to the comments. On
1: Instagram, we heard from the guys from the awesome music podcast, their very best. We joined them a few months ago for their discussion on the Eagles. Waldron writes Guys, hearing the gambler at the end of your deathbed songs episode made me think that maybe you should do a show about the best sing along songs. Oh, is that good? That's good. He goes on. A couple years ago, my family was visiting with some great friends, and when the chorus to John Denver's Country Roads came on, suddenly, both generations from my family and the three generations of their family were all singing along and loving it, a very memorable moment. Clint, we have to do this.
0: These country roads take me home.
2: have to do this. I have a story about that as well. You know I just got back from Jordan. Yes, I was in Jordan for 10 days. We played with these two incredible Jordanian musicians. One was a ne player, which is like a flute instrument, and the other was an oud player, which is like a 10-string fretless guitar-ish instrument. So we played some of their songs. We played some of our songs. And what an experience to go through that and learn the scales that they use are not the scales that we use. So they would look at me to solo. It was so cool and so different. And I finally got it. It took a little bit and it was the same with them. So one of the last songs of the night, we played Country Roads by John Denver and everybody in the audience sang it. Everybody in the audience sang it. Oh my We're talking gosh, people, it, Amon Jordan. And beyond, I mean, people from all over. The ambassador of Jordan was there from the U.S. There was just so many people singing. This was the only song of the night that they all sang along to. Wow. Which is amazing. This song transcends all of it. It's a really cool international moment for me. Incredible. But all based on Country Roads by John Denver.
0: Country Roads
1: Well, I love that. And Waldron from their very best, thank you for the suggestion. And Clint, you may have more experience than anyone about the science of the sing along song, right? I mean, you've got this down to a science where you know what
2: is the song that's going to get people out on the floor and just full on singing along. All of growing up, like I was the guitar player and I brought a guitar everywhere. I went to all the parties, to all the things. And I realized pretty early on that people want to sing along. And so it's as close as I get personally to the spiritual. Yeah. It's my religion. It's that feeling of unity through voice is magic to me. All right. We had a number of people ask about Tina Turner. Loved her music. Seemed like an amazing woman and sad to see her go. Rest in peace. I want to talk a little bit about Tina Turner.
1: So she had a resurgence in the mid-80s, around the time that you and I were really becoming musically aware. Of course, Tina and her husband, Ike, came into the collective consciousness in the mid-60s, produced by Phil Spector. They opened for the Rolling Stones in the fall of 1966, and by the following year, Tina Turner was the first Black artist to be featured on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. But it was their version of Credence's Proud Mary, in nineteen seventy one, that became their big hit. Oh,
0: the job the working for the man every night and day. And I never lost a and the way might we'll Proud Burn the river.
1: But by nineteen seventy six, Ike's cocaine use and abusive behavior had reached a tipping point, and Tina filed for divorce. By 1983, Clint, Tina was considered a nostalgia act, playing in hotel ballrooms and clubs. Wow. But Capitol Records signed her again and released a version of Al Green's Let's Stay Together. song became an unexpected hit and Capitol records gave her just two weeks to record an album wow that record was private dancer which featured her first and only number one hit what's love got to do
0: with it wow.
1: She won three Grammys, began playing arenas, and was included in the all-star cast of We Are the World.
0: We all are part of God's great big family, and the truth, you know love is all we need.
1: She was back by 1990 on the strength of her new single, The Best.
0: you simply the best.
1: her tour that year broke the rolling stones attendance record with 4 million paid ticket holders wow in less than 10 years she went from playing hotel ballrooms and being a nostalgia act to being one of the top stars in the world again and she was older at that point too this gives us hope rich it's amazing speaking of tina turner in the wake of her death i saw a number of her performances shared online one of which was her version of Come Together. Huh. It led to what I will call an almost Monda Green. I was listening to her version and one of her lines made me think, oh, shit. have I been singing this song wrong the whole time? I actually had to go look up the Beatles version to make sure. She sings.
0: Uno side cone. He won't smile.
1: Uno side cone. <laughs>
0: Ooh, no side cone, he won't.
1: I love that they were like Tina, you good on the lyrics? You want us to write them down for you? And she was like, No, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I got them. I got it. I got it.
0: Ooh, side <laughs> Ooh no side cone. Ooh, no cone. Oh god, that's great.
1: But you know, here on my like, like, I sing this song routinely with my band, The Sweet Remains, and I'm like, Oh god, have I
0: been, singing, been singing this song the whole that's time? That's
1: so great. Wow, side cone. Here's another comment from Facebook from Bruce. Clint and Rich, I've listened to every second of all these podcasts, many more than once. And I've turned on a ton of friends to your brilliance. And I've wanted to respond over and over, and I'm always driving or in the gym or in full on jam mode. But your query have you ever heard a warm up band that really outdid the headliner? When I saw Rod Stewart in Pittsburgh in about 1976, the warm-up band was some guy we'd never heard of, and he came out and he blew everyone away, just crushed, ripped our heads off. Whoa. His name was Peter Frampton.
2: Wow. And it was right before Frampton comes alive. Frampton was insanely great that is awesome yeah great songs great playing cool effects like that vocal guitar effect he always used back then that was like his signature and and having never seen that before you're probably like whoa this is amazing
1: we had another one from glenn glenn writes perfect time to pick up your podcast with the age-old question of what song do you want played on your deathbed i'm taking a road trip this summer with my oldest friend and one of our past the miles activities will be to write each other's obituary. Whoa. We're going to play the podcast to extend this discussion. Nice. I loved Clint's reference to Chuck Mangione and agree that any number of instrumentals would be great. Saw him in concert in 1975, and I just got out my Chase the Clouds Away album. Thanks, Glenn. And thanks to everyone who takes the time to
2: share their comments and their feedback. We love it. I did get a I got a comment from Brandon in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He wrote, This week's podcast made me think of this. And he sent me a video from King of the Hill where Chuck Man Joan plays taps, but then he goes into feel so good. <laughs>
1: Oh, funny. That's great. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Let's get back to whistling. All right. I had a thought this morning that there's a scene in Bridge Over the River Kwai, which is a great old movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the great whistling of all time.
2: that song is called the Colonel Bogey March that's a classic one and what I remember about that is from Breakfast Club do you remember it? Breakfast oh, Club they yes. sing that song uh, Bender is that his name sings that song that's actually the first time I heard it I was like what is that song oh, but then funny. what about Sweet Georgia Brown the Harlem Globetrotters theme oh that's a classic too entire melody is whistling. And then what about The Fishing Hole? That's the song that was the theme to the Andy Griffith show. Oh, yeah. Remember that one? That's another one. When you can write a song where the entire melody is whistled. Whistled. (laughs) That's amazing. So, big respect to those guys. How about Regulate by Warren G. and Nate Dogg? That's got oh. a great little track. That is great. And shall we not forget me and Julio down by the schoolyard? Paul, that's Seinberg. a great one too. Yeah.
1: Can't believe I didn't talk about that one.
2: There's a song called "Good Life" by One Republic, and Ryan Tedder is the main creative force behind One Republic. And I took a class from Ryan Tedder on songwriting, and so I really respect that guy. He's written a lot of number one songs, and he's a really cool producer. And seems like a really nice guy. Their song "Good Life," the hook of that song is actually a whistle part. fascinating part is, is, that was the basis of the song. So he came up with the whistle hook before he had anything else, and then wrote the entire song based on that hook, which is really cool. Really cool. He describes the whistle as the song's second chorus, and it took 20 takes and loads of Chapstick to get it just right, which is funny. That is funny.
1: I want to add one more PS from Bruce's comment from Facebook. Because oh, yeah. I, I forgot to share this, and I think you'll appreciate He says, guys, rock steady, make the shows longer, always call Jeff for his thoughts, and talk more about Zappa and Goose.
0: Oh.
2: Okay. We should try to get one of those Goose guys on here.
1: Yeah all right the topic today is the best whistling
2: in a song what is your pick for best whistling in a song this is my number one it's a song by american band from los angeles california called maroon five and it features american singer christina aguilera song is moves like jagger on June 21st, 2011, written by Adam Levine, Amar Malik, Benny Blanco, and Shellback, a Max Martin protege. And Max Martin, again, is the king of pop music history. What's interesting about this song is Maroon 5's never co-written a song outside the band. So everything that they had done had been internal at that point. Mm-hmm. And I guess Adam had hit a wall, and so got in the studio with Benny Blanco and Shellback. first co-write of Maroon 5's career became a huge smash. It was like a neo-disco electro-pop song, which they hadn't really done up to that point. They were more of like a pop rock band, I would say. And what I love about this whistle is the complexity of the whistle. It is one of those melodies that is not super intuitive to your brain. Singing the melody is a little bit hard in a way that a jazz singer would sing as opposed to a pop singer. The way the intervals work together. And so using that hook as a whistle is a really cool concept. Love it. Which is another possible age old question episode. Who had the best dance moves Mm. of all time? there are some heavy hitters out there, but Mick Jagger is definitely on the list for sure. Song spent seven straight weeks at number two in the singles chart and it never hit number one. It was number two and then a new song would be released and it would be number one and they stayed at number two. And then the next week, a new song would be released and it would stay at number two. So it never hit number one, but it became the biggest selling song not to peak at number one in 2012. So wow. That was its, its claim to fame. I love this song. I love the dance-ness of it. I love the kick drum sound. I love the four on the floor-ness of it. I think the whistle makes it. Because from the very first moment you hear it, it's a catchy, catchy whistle. But it also just defines the song. It just is, you know it within 0.8 seconds of hearing the song. So. What's your number one whistle song?
1: My number one is Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. I have to agree with Lorraine. I I called my dad and he said, what's the next episode? I said, we're going to do about whistling. And he's like, well, it's got to be Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. I agree with him. It's got to be Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. It's just the perfect solo instrument in that moment to capture the essence of what the song is about. Absolutely. Did we do it? We did it. We did. We it. did I think it. we did. I think we did. I want to thank Lorraine and Andy for the suggestion. I want to thank all of our listeners. We hope you had fun as much fun as we did and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age old question. Follow us on Instagram at the age old question. Facebook, the age old question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own.
2: Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. Also, if you're digging the podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash the age old question and consider becoming a part of our age old question family. With your support, we'll be able to answer many more age old questions. Thanks.